Hey, Awkward Family. I know it's been a couple of weeks, three weeks, I guess, that we have not had an episode, and I appreciate you tuning in this week. Hopefully you have a notification that it came out and you're able to listen today. It is, uh, well, I'm going to do a whole episode just about that. Not this week, but I will. Um, About a little bit of the discipline and a little bit of the uh, obedience to not put out some episodes because quite honestly I did not have the content to put out an episode with folks that it made sense and who had a story uh, that I could get a hold of so with all of that said this week is a very interesting episode as it deals with uh, a man that I've done a lot of life with We've been through lots of ups and downs. We've been in leadership together, eldership of a church. We've been in ministry together for over 12 years now. And we ran a ranch together. We did a lot of things together. And so we just get to dive into his story and hear a little bit of his journey. There's so much more to it, but at least we got to sit down and have this chat. I'm so very thankful that he was willing to go to the places he went to. And so let's get straight into that without any further ado. Hey, Derek Drury, welcome. It's going to get awkward. Meow. good we're ready yeah all right let's do it all right man so yep yeah, uh yeah take us off in in prayer leading us absolutely gracious lord we praise you we're thankful for this evening uh with the rain falling outside and just knowing that you are here your presence is here uh you're vibrant uh you're victorious uh, we celebrate you lord and ask that you bless the conversation you bless our hearts uh, as they are in tune with you we trust you father that you are doing good things and that you care about us and that you've gone before us and that you uh, know our hearts, Father, and that we love you and that we celebrate being your sons. Father, we're happy when you're near us and we know and feel that in this moment. So Lord, let your way uh, happen in this place and may you uh, be proclaimed throughout the ends of the earth. Amen. Amen. Man. The man, the myth, the legend, Derek Drury. Thanks for doing this, dude. Hello, Jonathan. <laughs> I'm happy to be here with you. It's really interesting. I haven't been in this space that we're at right now in in uh, many moons, as they say. So this is cool, a cool decision to be where your old desk used to be, quite honestly. Um, Derek Drury, where were you born? So I was born in Fort Worth, Texas, Cowtown. Mm. It's a place near and dear to my heart that yeah. I love and uh, proclaim as my own. <laughs> as is, where, what hospital? Harris Downtown. The one and only Harris Downtown. Yes, the okay. same hospital where my wife was born. Right like down the hall. A, a year and a half later on Valentine's Day. Right down Can you believe that? Yeah, no, that's cool. She's a Valentine's baby. I forget about that. Happy, happy birthday in February, Laura. Um. Okay, so born to one Bertie Sharon Drury, 
and your father. Yeah, I, don't know, I, I forget your dad's name. Dusty. Dusty. Yeah, that's not his real name, but that uh, was the nickname it? his mama gave him when he was little, okay. growing up out in West Texas. So I imagine it had something to do with the dirt and the sand out there and uh, maybe his dusty blonde hair. I don't really know, but his real name was Dewey. Dewey. So I can understand why he rolled with the alternative throughout his dusty, life. Dusty and, sounds and a his, little uh, punchy. Work career and other things, so... Yeah, I had a, a Dusty and a Birdie, and Birdie was my mom's uh, grandmother name. Right, that, the, that was the grandkids not what she grew up with. No, that's not her real name either. But her nickname was Bird uh, because she had bird legs, evidently in college, and so that was the ACU. <laughs> I never knew this. Figure of okay. speech and okay. calling her Bird. So, okay, interesting. So, all right, so I, I did not know your dad, but I know your mom really, really well. So that's that's awesome. Okay, so. Born to them, what 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 model are you? Nineteen of seventy. I'm the seventy five model. Seventy five model. Um. So born, and what were your folks doing at the time? Like when you were born, what what was going yeah, on in your house? So my first dad, born, first my born. dad was a, a sports fanatic. He played college football, was a lineman at Abilene Christian, and so he was coaching and working himself through the ranks. Uh, he was an assistant. I guess they would call it a grad assistant at TCU when I was born, 75, 76. And that was his goal and aspiration was to be, to be a big time. Oh, whoa. Yeah. Like a college football uh, coach. And at some point, I don't know the whole story, but evidently it wasn't paying the bills, I would think. And the, there wasn't uh, or there was an opportunity for him to work for my mom's dad, my, my grandfather okay. in the oil industry. And so he made the decision, I think in the late seventies to, to jump ship from coaching that world into the oil business. My mom, uh, was an educator and she was working in the public schools, teaching PE science, um, and Fort Worth ISD. Got it. Um, so how old were you when your second sibling came along? I was two years old, two and a half. And so I have two younger sisters. We're each about two and a half years apart. Okay. So once school started, I know that SCS is a part of your story. Let's let's go into that story a little bit about were you did you start kindergarten there? I did. Okay. I did. I started kindergarten and But it wasn't it had already started. Right. SCS actually started, I think, in 1969. So oh, when I got, got there in 79, oh, yeah, right. it, it was already 10 years old. Well, and your mom wasn't a part of it then. No, she was in the Fort Worth Public Schools until I was maybe 9 or 10 years old. And that's when she came over to Southwest Christian to help out over there. Okay. But it was was it at Alta Mesa still? Sorry, this is a way, weird sidetrack. Uh, it was a partnership with Westbury Church of Christ okay. for a while, and then they partnered with Alta Mesa okay. when I was in kindergarten. Okay. Yeah. It kind of birthed out of that to the, the big school. Exactly. Okay. Right. Right. Good. All right. That was just a w weird sidetrack. Didn't want to get on that too much. So you started SES, and your mom just starts teaching then? Yes. Yeah. She was teaching and then volunteering, and then that morphed over time into becoming the president of the school. So basically whenever there was a need as the school was growing and maturing, um, adding, you know, a lot of students each year 
she would see a need and the board would ask her if she'd be willing to do it. And she filled them, filled the positions nicely mm. and just sacrificially more or less. And so you were kind of raised in that. So where was the school at, at that point? Yeah. So it was at Alta Mesa church of Christ. So I was in that building since we went to church there, I was in the building every day, except for some Saturdays we had a, uh, you know, a little break from being at that facility. And we, you know, we found our place in serving there and doing little extras um, yeah. behind the scenes um, to help out my mom. Um, you know, we were very active in our church and spent a lot of time on Sundays and Wednesday nights there. I mean, when the doors were open, the lights were on, we were there, you know, so that was my childhood. And uh, we found a lot of fun there too. So great right. place to play hide and seek in the I dark. I think that's interesting. Like some people say, oh, I was just raised in the church. Like, you and your siblings were raised in that church. We were. Like, we were. Every day. Yeah. Every day what, there for school. That's like, what we knew. And our sporting events took place there in the four-year uh, volleyball, basketball, those types of the indoor sports. Was and it so, the Saltillo Tile still? It was. So we played basketball on the Saltillo Tile. No And the basketball way. court was not regulation length. It was a, a bit shorter. And so we had a nice home court advantage uh, <laughs> against the opposing teams that would come and visit us, uh, the way the ball bounced in odd shaped ways. Uh, so we, we kind of laughed about that and, you know, we so helped, much. we helped build the basketball goals there and, and, uh, put a little bit of padding up because the walls were, were pretty tight around the court and you just enjoyed it. It was, it was good in that sense of, of feeling the family um, environment at school and at church. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, we've already had the pleasantries of all the intro stuff. So you and I have done a lot of life together. So some of this is really interesting and we'll get into it further just now, like hearing that piece of the story that I've never, I've just never heard. I think that's another reason that I, I felt like I wanted to hear your story, and I think your story is, is really special and impactful for people. But for me, I knew there would be things that I got. But hearing that, like, hey, I, I built the basketball goals at that church. Like, it, it helps understand why the house has been so special to you and your family for so long. I mean, you probably know every square. Or, I mean, not now because it's been remodeled and stuff, but you still know every square inch of that building because you cried, sweated, bled there, you know? And so. Absolutely. And my first kiss was there in the auditorium. Yeah. So, I mean, very, you know, I mean, you're talking about the, the whole gamut of things, you know, sweating, tearing, kissing, like crazy. At that house. Yeah. And it's near and dear to me. It's a special place on that hill. That's really, really cool to hear that. Anyway, just a little backstory to know. Yeah. You know, why, why, why it's special. So, okay. So we're moving on. Um, you know, a big part of your story has been um, what you and I have talked about many, many times over the years is the the thing set against the goodness that your family have done. Your grandfather, we could talk about your grandfather and grandmother for a whole nother podcast. That could be a whole nother thing about the influences, the 
the lives they changed, the influence, the kingdom values, all the things that they did in their lives. That's a whole nother thing. Um, but there's, you know, I've, we talked about like just the enemy knowing the dangers of, of what comes out of that house, so to speak. And so a part of that is, is the struggles that you've gone through. And so we don't get very far into your life before that hits. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, that's a very, very true. Very fair statement. So do you want to chat a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So there was a great side of my childhood that was very innocent and very pure and pleasing in a lot of ways. And then there was another side that was extremely ugly and evil and abusive. And when I was eight years old, I began being sexually abused by an aunt on my father's side. Mm. Um, she's passed in the last few years. So uh, it was something that just came out of the blue and something that I didn't understand uh, when it started happening as uh, I was an eight-year-old and didn't realize what all was going on. But uh, she was about 13 years older than me. Mm. And just started taking advantages of situations where I would be at um, my grandparents' house where she lived um, in the summer, uh, spend a week at a time, or you know maybe during holidays. And and you know I know looking back at it now that there was abuse and and harm and and darkness that had occurred uh, against her, and it was just the cycle, and it was just being passed down to me. I was the one that was available and, and, and there, uh, to be preyed on. And then I know that the enemy was trying to devour my soul was to trying to, to completely d destruct and, and tear apart, uh, the fiber of my being. And the sexual abuse occurred on and off for a five-year period until I was about 13 when it just abruptly ended just as abruptly as it began. Uh, no rhyme or reason per se, but it ended when I was it often. Yeah. So, uh, when it was occurring or when I was in that home, um, it would be on a nightly basis. Mm. Um, but I wasn't over there a ton. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so you it's know, sporadic it was, in occurrence, but when it occurred, it was absolutely, it was yeah. frequent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the, the week portions that I was uh, mm. visiting them. And so, you know, the innocence is stripped away, obviously. It's um, no longer pure childlike uh, when you've experienced something like that. And I wrestled with that for a long time, um, which the way I dealt with it on into my teens 20s and early 30s was just to suppress and lock it away mm. and 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 put that key where nobody could find it and I really expected Jonathan that I wouldn't share that with anybody until I, I died and and went to heaven that, that nobody would know I'd just take it with me to my grave I was for certain about that and that wasn't God's plan so can you remember like even as an eight nine and then you know maybe even 10 years old like knowing what was happening right of course and wanting to speak out and reach out for help or was there just fear 
No, it was, it was fear-based. Um, I was a, and still am to a degree, a people pleaser. Yeah. Um, I like for people to think of me as doing the right thing Yeah. and, and compliant yeah. to a degree. Yeah. And so when that was occurring, not only did I not understand what it was because I was so young, um, I felt like it was a, a paralyzing, um, phenomena to me is the best way I can describe it to where I, I truly feel like the enemy in a lot of ways sewed my mouth shut and was keeping me from speaking out. And that was something that was so powerful that I just stayed silent and didn't feel like either a, somebody would be able to come to my rescue hmm. B would believe me C that individual who was abusing me uh, might get in trouble and you know, why would I want that on, right. on a family member, right. uh, for them to have repercussions. Yeah. But once again, this is a eight, nine, 10 year old mind, sure. uh, trying to process these things. And so on the running parallel to that, I, my, my father was abusive hmm. and he was emotionally, mentally abusive, sometimes physically, but, but mainly the other two. And so when I had, do you that, remember <laughs> like that age of that starting? Yeah, it was, um, he, he became really angry and I don't know if it had to do with his career. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with his own childhood sure. wounds. Yeah. Uh, cause his dad abandoned him when he was four years old, basically drove off in the family car and, and left him and his mom to fend for themselves. And so there was a lot that came with that. But it was about the same time. I mean, it was around six to eight years old where he started acting in aggression against me. And we would have days where everything was great and we'd be playing catch, playing ball in the backyard or, or run into a, a Texas Ranger game. And then there would be days that followed those good times with just yelling, screaming, uh, fits of rage, um, telling me that I wasn't good at anything and berating me by the way I sweep the garage or, or whatever, just couldn't do anything right. And he was just taking his anger out on me in pretty fantastic ways. And my mom did her best to, to protect me from that and, and make, uh, some sort of a, uh, a plea of forgiveness for him on his behalf. But it really just, it, it never sit well with me that, that was going on in our home for so many years. And once again, I was, I was paralyzed and there was the fear of my goodness, if, if I combat this, if I go against this guy who weighed at the time, 300 pounds and six foot one foot ex football player, you know, he's just going to pound me in the ground yeah. and I'm going to turn to sand. Right. I mean, right. I've got no shot. Uh, I did start fighting back uh, in my uh, teenage years and we had a, we had an actual fight. Uh, in the hallway and there were holes punched in the sheetrock and on each other and, and he knocked me down. So, um, at that point I'd had enough. And, and so there were a couple occasions where the, where that occurred, but in the, as a child, uh, once again, was any of that towards your mom too? You know, yeah, yeah, for sure. But never physical. Right. You know? right. I, I think it, it, it was just all was such a strange yeah. thing. And that's why, you know, I, I rebuked the enemy because it was like he would run up to this line, like this this threshold 
to yeah. uh, the point of no return where like yeah. we probably would have called somebody to to come and rescue and then he would retreat from that almost to where he knew where just to keep it sub the enemy without. knew where the the bal the balance was yeah. of just keeping it hidden yeah keeping everything from church members uh family members friends. he's living a double life too. oh yeah he's a deacon at the church yeah. you know and he's uh being propped up in uh his church life his career everybody loves him i mean he's when he's on and in his right mind he's an amazing person to be around incredible i mean everybody loved dusty and that was something else that was very difficult for me to process in thinking if you guys if y'all only knew you know mm -hmm. y'all y'all know who who he really is and i agree with you i mean when i'm at the ranger game and, and he's in the in the good mood i love being with him too i i, I see that but there's the other side that um and none of that was driven by any substance abuse or anything like not that. at all he didn't touch a drop of alcohol because he witnessed that in his home growing mm -hmm. up there were smokers and drinkers so he and did break that off and womanizers and yep. the whole bit and so he wasn't doing any of that stuff it was just this un um run resolved anger and hurt and rage and, and that he was caring from his childhood wounds man okay so yeah while all of that's happening you also go home with your aunt you also go home to your right, dad right right so you know my outlet was hey let's just stuff hmm. the bad and let's roll and kind of count your blessings so that was a song that my mom would sing to me a lot at night and there's that's so special it's old church christ hymn you know count your many blessings then them one by one and it's just like okay i know the lord is real i know he's for me I've seen him manifest in many ways, profound ways in my life that this is the real deal. It's not fake. Mm -hmm. I believe the word of God. Um, I'm in a Christian church. I'm in a, a Christian school. I'm surrounded by a lot of good people. And so I just latched onto that. And it was, it was healthy in a lot of ways, but it had a little bit of unhealthiness to it in the sense of striving for perfection feeling a need to perform, feeling a need to never make a mistake, never fail. Um, I got to be, you know, on my A game. Um, but that's just, that was how I coped. And that's how I rolled through my elementary, middle school and high school years. Because mm. I'm going to do such good things. I'm going to perform so well that you're going to like me. Yeah. And I'm going to be worth it. So during that time, any, what other coping mechanisms did you, any other negative coping mechanisms? I really, I really didn't because I felt like I'd witnessed in that same home uh, with that set of grandparents, the detriment of alcoholism. Yeah. Um, I knew my grandmother, my dad's mom uh, was a prostitute for many years. Mm. Um, so that, that had been told to me. Wow. That she, that was a way that she made ends meet, uh, when her husband left, um, them alone. And so I knew that those types of vices weren't going to get me anywhere. I, I was not attracted to drugs or trying to just space out in that regard. So I just went hard into, you know, playing sports, making good grades, achievement, yeah, excelling. 
Because you've always been a very driven person. Yes, absolutely. And some of that is internal drive, but also that the pleasing, you know, that three Enneagram thing where you really do want to please and stuff like that. So do you, you know, with a lot of history of people you hear, do you feel like the sexual abuse and even emotional abuse from from your dad and the things you would witness at home, do you, did that skew your view as you, you know, came into, you know, hit puberty and all the weird things that happens to your body and that, do you feel like those things skewed your views on even just healthy sexuality too? 110%. Yeah. And there's another story I need to share in regards to that and how it played a part of my going into adulthood. And that was a youth minister we had at the church who I became really close to and was an incredible, incredible guy, incredible minister, uh, grew the youth group by large numbers and it just had an amazing program. And I felt truly that he had my back. I mean, this was somebody that a male yeah. role figure, right? right? That I could see as somebody who I could emulate that I, I would really take examples from. And he was with us for about three to four years until my best friend and I started noticing that he was becoming very flirtatious with a few of the girls in our youth group. So once again, we had become really large as a youth group. There was uh, kids coming from multiples of public schools, private schools around the area. And, you know, that, so there was a lot of attractive uh, girls in our, in our group. And so he had an assistant as well that was helping out that was uh, his age as well. They were probably both in their early 30s, mid-30s, probably early 30s. And uh, even that individual was uh, flirting with one of the girls uh, in our youth group. Uh, we would go on a yearly ski trip. We would do a lot of, lot of trips, uh, camps, all, all of the normal stuff. So a lot of time away from the church building um, in more casual settings. Mm -hmm. And that's just how our youth group rolled back then. And, you know, as that evolved and, and me and my best friend were, were starting to notice things, we became uncomfortable with it. We knew that the uh, female uh, that was involved, um, we, we knew that, that that wasn't a good situation for her. Uh, but, it, but she wasn't asking for help per se, uh, but it got to the point and this youth minister was married. Um, I think his wife was pregnant at the time. And so I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I, I've been, you know, abused sexually. I've seen a lot more than I ever want to see. I know a lot more than I ever wanted to know growing up as uh, a young a young child and and I see all the signs and it's very evident to me. It's evident to my friend that this is extremely inappropriate mm. and there's probably a lot more going on than, than we even know about um, as far as their physical sexual relationship. And sure enough, um, it was confirmed. Uh, both he and he and I, my friend uh, found out about it. And so I'm glad that we chose to do what we did. And we took that to the eldership and exposed him and this is our man i think this was our junior year if i'm not mistaken Whoa. and so we're having to rat out 
our youth minister, who we love to death of his sexual, uh, you know, escapades with, yeah. with at least one. I think there was a, a couple other of our, our friends in the youth group. And so it became a big to do. And yeah, he obviously he was fired and, and there was a lot of fallout, but it was just one more thing where the enemy was just poking his face and, and just laughing. And, you know, once again, here's somebody that should be safe is yeah. not, Yeah, they're not. And they're not doing good things in keeping my word and keeping uh, the truth. Um, And his ministry had just been covered in those, those lies for so long. And so that was disappointing. Um, You know, he was somebody that I was, I was going to have baptized me. And, and so it, it, it shook my faith a bit, but once again, God reaffirmed me and he can, he continues to do that to this day where you know, the enemy can try to, to throw his darts and shoot his arrows, but the Lord always comes back and has that shield and, and reminds me in different ways and powerful ways that, that he is sovereign and that he is victorious and that all of this stuff is really, it, it's so weak in his eyes. Yeah. Well, and also I would just add, just kind of skews healthy sexuality again too like everything you've been witness to and have known has been this really skewed view of just sexuality you know in itself and not this wholesome wonderful thing that was created too so um so you are now about to graduate and head off to wildcat country um so any no no big issues there you just kind of graduate and Right. Oh. Yeah. I got my business degree. I met uh, my wife. Well, Laura. during college, something does happen. A big thing happens. Isn't that when you're folks? Yeah. I mean, there was several big things. Um, okay. I had chosen to, to go out there and play football. Bro, it is coming down it's out raining. there. It's raining. It's raining hard. Wow. That's, that's beautiful. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I played football for about a year and a half okay. and yeah. and felt like... You know, I was just doing that for my dad. I, I, w- I woke up one day my sophomore season, and I was a starter on the team, and and I realized I'm not doing this for myself, that I, I'm completely doing it to satisfy him and to have a relationship with him, wow. as crazy as that is, you know? Wow. And I would worked so hard uh, and earned my stripes my freshman year, put in the time day in and day out, worked so hard and perfected my craft to the best that I could uh, and to be able to play at that level. And I'm like, this is not, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. And so that Jonathan was probably the first time that I actually took my life in my own hands. And that sounds so weird to say as a 19 year old, but that's the first time that I actually did something for myself that I knew was right. But it felt so wrong because I was quitting something that I'd given so much time to. So once again, I right, had to. But how profound, though. Yes. Profound. Absolutely. And that same year, my parents got divorced. And so we had seen it coming and knew that, that it was in, eventually going to end that way. But until it happens, yeah, you know, you feel it. You still feel it, even though you see it coming from a mile away. And, and so then you wrestle with, 
I've come from a broken home and, you know, how am I going to be able to sustain a healthy marriage for 50 years when there's no pattern uh, to follow? Um, And I just feel like, you know, one more thing on the pile, so to speak. But you know what? Um, My faith remained strong the whole way. And through college, um, the Lord brought me to Laura. We met on the intramural fields my senior year. We hit it off and and got engaged and got married a year later when I was 23 and she is 22. And so to go back to what you're speaking and the sexual, uh, just the interference that had occurred, you know, all of that stuff being suppressed and me not sharing that in marriage counseling with Laura on the front end or, or just finding a, a time one morning to just say, hey, Laura, this is some things that have happened to me yeah. in childhood. And I got to tell somebody it just had continued into my twenties as it's just going to stay locked up forever. Yeah. Um, I do want to touch on like the day you woke up and you were like, I'm doing this for my dad. What do you remember kind of what was, was it just like that thought or were, was it something that kind of stewed around in your it was for a little bit. It or... was pretty much just a shocking thought. Now, my my high school coach, my senior year, I remember him actually pulling me aside on the practice field and saying, "Hey, are you gonna are you gonna play at ACU because your your dad played there? I mean, are you doing it for him?" He actually asked me that, and I'm very thankful wow. that that Carrie yeah. saw that had the had the foresight or the Holy Spirit prompting to say, "Hey, Derek, I see this, and I want to know like." where your heart is, like, where's your head on it's this? It's like a really small seed was, like, was planted. In yeah, it. and I just completely waved him off and, no, this is for me. It's all mine. And so, I've been working, yeah. Yeah, but even, but even then, you know, there's a little crack in that, mm, in, yeah. that in that, that surface of like, and oh, man. began to germinate. Yeah. Because um, I just, I, I, that's another first in our conversation I've not heard where that, that's a really profound thing because I know how much you had dedicated so much of your life and adolescence and teenage formative years and perfecting the craft of playing football and being in that to just wake up and be like, this is not for me. It's for my dad. Yeah, man. Okay. Uh, so let's fast forward back to, um, you and Laura are married and you've graduated. You guys are going to move somewhere. Yeah, so we moved to San Antonio. Okay. She uh, was getting her master's degree at St. Mary's. Okay. And so we wanted Catholic to- Catholic girl, nice. Yeah, we wanted to support that. And it was it was fun to get away from Fort Worth and all the turmoil, all the craziness that was going on here Yeah. and just start our married life in our own spot. Yeah. Doing our own thing at our own pace with really nobody to disturb us. And I know that was a God thing. I didn't see it at the time. I just thought, hey, we're Laura's going to get her master's degree. You know, let's let's go do this. But it was such a God thing in in the way that he allowed us to form our own bond. And we weren't influenced by the chaos of my side of the family. Now her side of the family was much more stable. They're amazing. Uh, her parents uh, had healthy marriage. And so 
don't get me wrong, it was important to continue those yeah, relationships right. and those ties. Like you, we're not we're not right. running away. Yeah. But the Lord was very gracious and kind in the sense that she and I really got to form our friendship and our joy and our connection in San Antonio for uh, just shy of two years. And then we moved right back to Fort Worth because we knew this is where I was going to build a business and we wanted to make our home. Yeah. So as you're, you know, just let's talk just the honeymoon phase, the first year or whatever of marriage, did anything, did you ever feel that haunting of the secret that no, she doesn't. You, it was you, so. Right? You had it just, was. It so really down. was. Yeah. It was. Yeah, Jonathan. I don't know how to describe it other than to say that I didn't think about it. I didn't acknowledge it. Wasn't it wasn't a part of your life. Yeah. No, not at all. Almost disassociative. Like that was. That was somebody else. Wasn't even me. That's right? exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it wasn't even really like you were keeping a secret because it. It didn't happen. No, I, I yeah. didn't feel like I was I was doing anything wrong. Or I just didn't know. Like yeah. going into it, did you feel like you know, you know, like really we want to give our whole selves and everything? But then, you know, I came into mind with some addiction things that Heather kind of knew about, and I would kind of, I mean, you know, <laughs> here's this, but it wasn't fully known. But I always knew I wasn't fully known, you know, and so all they did was just. It built and built and built until the house came crumbling down. So um, that's all, that's all I was really kind of touching on is to, but it, it wasn't even that. Like you, you were one. We're all in this, and because it was buried and locked away to where it wasn't. Oh keep, yeah, you're not keeping the secret, right? Oh, absolutely. And I, I, I adored Laura, and I yeah. adore her to this day. And it's like I wouldn't wasn't feeling like there was anything that I was withholding from her that, yeah. you know, I was keeping her from, um, you know, as far as I recognize at that point, which was obviously incorrect that she had my full heart. Yeah. She knew everything about me. Right. That, that wasn't a hundred percent true. Yeah. She didn't know everything about me. <laughs> so did you, did you discuss part of your dad's abuse stuff does she know some of that absolutely too? yeah she was fully aware of that well i guess so because the divorce and she probably was like hey why'd your parents get divorced yeah 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 she was aware of all of that um going into your marriage her relationship with your sisters was that was that all healthy and good like, yeah everything was, was everything was good there. other than the broken home quote unquote yeah was everything all, was was healthy and yeah. on the up and up okay and, and we were off to a great start together for our first I'd say, you know, five to seven years of marriage. Yeah. So during, uh, I guess, third year of marriage or second year of marriage, this this conglomerate was birthed. Yeah. So it was actually, <laughs> let's see, it was in the first year of marriage. So oh, was it? Okay. So yeah. So the company that I founded, uh, I founded in July 99. We got married in June 99. So it essentially oh, happened at the same time. Okay. Which I is, thought you were... A year before. Okay. Oh, yeah. So it all happened that summer of 99, which, man, Dude. how cool is that? So it was birthed in San Antonio, really? Absolutely, it was. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. I'm learning so much new things. Okay. Yeah. So just to give a little yeah, context, I started an oil company that manufactures downhole tools, explosives, and other uh, products. And that's for like the service sector. Um that basically completes wells, brings wells to life um, all across the, the globe. 
And it didn't start as a global business, obviously. Right. That wasn't the plan from the beginning. I barely knew up from down. I had no clue as just a little business grad from ACU. I'm going to start a business. And, you know, I was happy. The goals that I, I was setting back then was to, you know, maybe have five employees one day and have enough, you know, salary to be able to take my kids to Disneyland yeah. type stuff, you know, right. uh, to be, to be a little silly, um, I, I wanted to provide for my wife and my kids yeah. and be an entrepreneur. It yeah. was in my DNA. It's something that I extremely enjoy. Innovation, um, managing people, spreading the gospel through my business, mm. um, evangelizing in the corporate world. I mean, that's this kind of things that get me jazzed mm. up. So even, or so then when you started it, what were you guys doing? Like what was the, the baby steps of. Yeah. Uh, so basically it was me purchasing a product line from my granddad's former company. So he had just sold his business because okay, yeah. he was approaching 70 years old. Um, that allowed me to have a little bit of seed money. Yeah. Uh, so I had investment um, that I could actually start something because, you know, I didn't have hardly anything in the bank coming out of college. And so with his sell of his business, I was able to have a little bit of seed money, uh, to fund my entrepreneurial endeavor. Okay. And so I purchased a product line that they had just put on the back burner. They weren't doing anything with it. I saw potential and I asked them and negotiated a deal to where that would be the product line that would, would begin our business. And you didn't know about the industry cause you had worked. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I was very familiar yeah. and well-versed in the industry because my, my dad had us working in our garage at our house beginning probably at age 12, like legitimate working on a Bridgeport press, um, you know, assembling parts, packing parts, learning what the parts were, how they function. So, you know, we're probably going on 10 years at that point from, from 12 or 13 to 23 yeah. that I, I knew the oil field pretty well. And I'd worked for my granddad's company doing, uh, various things like hot shot deliveries, going to see customers, um, uh, working and maintenance. I mean, any, anything you can imagine, yeah. it was just cool. It was like, you know, the old general store where right. yeah. it's passed down to family member to family member and the kids work in the back of the you house. Know it. Yeah. yeah. They work in the back house and, and store the shelves and all that. But, you know, and, but along the way I, I, I was able to, I had my own little hotshot company called the DD's hotshot. And so, you know, uh, I was funding uh -oh. an account and I'm getting me you know, a new hat made I was like, DD's hotshot yeah, service. DD's, DD's hotshot service. That's I got to bring that fantastic. back at some point Dude, you got before to. I pass and have my own little truck. Dude, it's, I just want a, I want a trucker's hat with DD's hot Dude, so special. Okay. Okay. So the, like I said, the entrepreneurial spirit was, was strong in this one. Yeah. And I just, I just love watching my granddad. Yeah. And he is, you know, a thousand times smarter than I'll ever be. I mean, he truly, God gave him a, a genius mind. Yes. Um, but it's just a small little portion fell off of that tree and I, I wanted to, to just eat it up yeah. and, and let that absorb and marinate. And then <clears throat> the Lord did something really special in this business 
for 22 years. Yeah. So you start DBAC out of a product line that they thought the back burner, we can't do anything with it. You took it, ran with it. Yeah. And I knocked doors. I cold called. Yeah. I hustled. I drove across the entire U.S. asking people to give me a shot and just looking them in the eye and shaking their hand and saying, give me a shot. This is who I am. And they, a lot of times, sometimes I got the door slammed on my face. Sometimes it was met with, with anger. I don't got time for you. Other times they looked at me like, how old are you? You're like, what are you, like, you still in high school? Like, what are we, what are you doing here at my business? Like, who, who are you? And that was okay. And I, I didn't care that, that type of rejection didn't bother me because I was going after something much bigger. And I knew that the no's could only last so long because I believed in what we were doing, that eventually those no's would turn to yeses. Mm. So when did, <clears throat> when did you feel like, okay, this diamond, well, talk about diamondback name. Let's talk about that just real quick. Like where'd that come from? It's not a good story. <laughs> I don't know why you're but asking I love me that. It. I, I really don't it. want to share it. Okay. But uh, I will because okay. you asked. <laughs> I can't believe you asked that question. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. So I really, this is so bad. This just shows how young I was when I started my business. <laughs> but once hey. you pick a name and you incorporate it, you can't go back. That's the thing. Like, and not that I would have ever changed it because it actually sounds pretty cool and people really liked it. But nobody ever knew like what it really is. And they'll say, Oh, well, is it rattlesnake? You like snakes? No, I hate snakes. I love the I love Jesus. I'm not naming my business after, you know, the belly creature. And then, you know, I've had people, if that's a cut of steak, I didn't even know like a diamondback is a way you can cut a beef steak. So here's the deal. I love sports. I just talked about that a while ago. Yeah. And so there was a new baseball team at the time called the Arizona Diamondbacks. And I was like, in my 22-year-old mind, I'm like, well, you know, I'm a diehard Texas Ranger fan. By the way, they're in the World Series. Dude, they are. Clap, clap. And they That's terrific. The El Bombay. Scott. Okay. We won't I go off on a, on a Texas Rangers team. So but I was like, I had enough common sense to say, I can't name it ranger industries that's that's dumb that's dorky so what other sports team could i name my business and i was like man the arizona diamondbacks that's kind of cool diamondback industries there you go a star was born dude it's the best because it could have been dd's hush <laughs> it could have been well no and here's something here's the serious side of the naming of the business is i did not this is serious I did not want to put my name on it. Right. Number one, I feel like that's prideful. And to have your name on things, like that that wasn't that wasn't something that I wanted to do. Yeah. And number two, I wasn't proud of my name. Mm. Right? Well, yeah. So it wasn't <clears throat> you know, that's a, that's what a lot of people did, just put their name yeah. on it. Drew Industries or whatever. Right. Yeah. That that wasn't for me. So I had to go the baseball route. So you went with Diamondbacks. <clears throat> man, I, I just got really tickled just because I was like, man, it could, it was really close to being DD's. <laughs> yeah. I guess it, it could have been way worse. I still Diamondback ended up being fairly It's legit, dude. It's decent really decent name. It's really good. Right. It's held its own. 
It's weathered the time. Yep, that name has weathered the storm. Yeah, it's all good. Okay, so when did you feel like, uh, you know, you've got the reins of this thing, and, you're, and all of a sudden it starts going, you're like, I better hold on, because this bad boy's about to blow up. You know what I mean? Yeah, it took no a pun. good, you know, probably eight or nine years to okay. get to that point where I like, this is really something. Hmm. Um, we had a lot of lean years. We had a lot, uh, well, I had a couple occasions where I felt like we're going to close, we're going to close the doors. Hmm. We can't make it. And you know, I wasn't taking the salary. My partner, he skimped out on a, a couple checks for me and it was lean and we lost a huge account, um, because we made a big mistake on a shipment which was more than half of our yearly revenue. And so we had some lean times, but the Lord carried us through that. And we were convicted on, Hey, this thing is going to be successful and we've got a great product and we're good, uh, good character people. And, and there's a niche that we found. And so it was about 2007 when 2007, 2008, when I realized this, this is good. And it started growing hmm. exponentially. Got it. And let me tell you a little bit about that season. Yeah. Some ego mm-hmm. and some pride took hold. And that's hard for me to say <laughs> because humility has always been a huge thing to me. And that's what I saw my grandfather is, is walking humble and not making yourself bigger than you are. And I bounced from that to a degree in that season Hmm. and it came back to bite me. What do you think triggered that? Because it it really isn't you, you know what I mean? You're a, uh, I really don't want to be seen or known or, you know, like it's not a spot. You're not a spotlight guy, but something shifted in that. What do you, yeah, so about that, about I that know exactly about. what shifted, and it was all of the suppressed hurt, pain, sorrow began boiling and bubbling up to the surface. Yeah. And it was disturbing me in a lot of ways internally that I didn't recognize at the time, but I know that those things being as significant as they were, the, the abuse, the harm, the pain, the sadness, um, the depression, it wasn't going to stay locked away until I hit the grave. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to back up a little bit more because I just thought about something there. Cause you, you hit a word that, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people that suppress and quench and, you know, like you've said, I, I locked that away and nobody would know. Nobody's gonna ever going to know that. It does, you know, like The Body Keeps Score is, is this book that's been referenced several times in, in my podcast. But, like, it's an interesting thing how your body keeps score, especially when you uh, uh, cramp things down. Did you notice, were you a depressed 20, 30-year-old dude? I wouldn't say I was depressed, but... Bouts of depression or whatever. You know, I gained a lot of weight. I became pretty large, so physically unhealthy. Hmm. 
And so I think was that it was... eating to satisfy? Feel? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So that was comfort <clears throat> for yeah, me. Yeah. That's how I soothe the pain is right. I just eat. Yeah. And just indulge. Got it. And then that expanded into pornography and and sexual yeah. desires that were unhealthy. Yeah. And looking at at things and and trying to satisfy and satiate the pain yeah. that way. Got it. And so those two things were very harmful in my early thirties. Yeah. Okay. You just mentioned depression. That was the first thing that first time that had been mentioned and we hadn't talked about that to you weren't a depressed teenager. No. College, not depression, but into the the season of that beginning to rumble depression. Yeah, started. and I would just call it a, a mild depression because right. yeah. You know, I was living my life and But there were they were acting out out of the depression needing to soothe whatever was rumbling because you probably had just didn't even realize what was rumbling. Right. Because you had suppressed it so much and all that began to bubble up. Okay. <clears throat> so that that unhealthiness and that pridefulness talk a little bit more just about the manifestations of the pridefulness. Like what did you what were some of the things that began to manifest out of that just ego running just rampant? I mean not rampant, of- but just more than what is Christ like. And I, I like to live a radical life for Christ, obedient, um, kind, servant-hearted. I mean, those things are extremely important to me to truly follow Jesus in a, in a way that would be pleasing to him and that would be um, true to what the gospels and what, what we see in, in the apostles. And I, I, I get, I mean, we're flawed, we're human, we're, we're, you know, have sin nature. And so I'm not speaking on perfection type terms, but just living radically in the sense of I'm all out for you, Jesus, I'm all out mm-hmm. there. Let there be no doubt. And so when the money's coming in and power comes with that of being able to, you know, hire a lot of people and, um, influence in the corporate world and being seen in a certain way when you're not fully healthy and I'm not fully um, covered in the Holy Spirit and remaining Mm. true and disciplined to those types of things. um, That's when, that's when the pride took over and the man, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing really good. I knew I would and I'm achieving certain things. And so that, that head game, uh, that tape starts playing and, and talking to you in a way that would make you feel like you're pretty invincible at this point. And that was a dangerous spot for me because uh, going back to the humility, in my goal, I would say the very main goal of starting this business was to serve God's people mm. and to bless, to be generous to give, um, to bring in, uh, to help people know the Lord, you know, by doing Bible studies on a weekly basis, by doing, uh, Thanksgiving meals, the benevolence, the helping people with, um, a Diamondback gives back program where people struggling with medical bills, people struggling with, um, getting their car fixed. I mean, 
all of these amazing things which Diamondback was able to do, that 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 was the goal, yeah. is to love people and to proclaim his name. But when the success came, it wasn't just a wild, <laughs> banshee, let's go crazy um, type thing that you would see of of just throwing caution to the wind but it was just subtle it was it was a slow progression into man now people are looking at me this way and now i'm getting accolades and now you know i've i've got i've got this name and and that was where the pride i guess for me became detrimental mm. did you feel in that time even in like in the darkest moments of that time do you feel like you were living kind of that double life like your dad did you ever have that feeling or absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. it was it was double-minded as the bible talks about you know not to be double-minded right uh to be of of you know one spirit one soul one mind one purpose yeah and it was yeah there was things that, that i was hiding there was things that that now was harmful to Laura in our marriage. Yeah. yeah. And so just disappointing because she didn't deserve that. You know, she, she deserved my full devotion. She deserved my all in all. And there were just things that were distracting me and that were, were keeping me from being at my best. And that included in marriage. And we struggled and we had issues where, we needed to seek counseling and we needed to go and find a way um, to get healed. Yeah. And for all of this to be divulged and brought out from that deep, dark, you know, hidden place uh, so I could work through the wounds of childhood, so I could work yeah. and do the work. I'm happy to do work. I'm not afraid to work and, and allow the Lord to provide the medicine and provide the healing and to lay his hands on me and, and allow other men to come in and, and, and be a part of that and be those vessels. Um, so what year did like, did the rubber meet the road and Laura was like enough's enough. Yeah, it was, it was pretty much there. Oh seven. And then again in 2010. So it was a good three year stretch. Okay. Yeah. Three to four year stretch where, <clears throat> I was, you know, just living in a way that was not true to me and true to how the Lord designed me and what his purpose was for me. And, you know, once again, you know, not to lessen that, but it just was not, I I knew that I was not following his plan. Yeah. So in, you know, all the marriage difficulties and you know, like you said, y'all sought counseling and things like that. What point did she finally get to know all of Derek? Yeah. So finally in 2010, okay, we got to a place. So, you know, we're talking 14, 13, 14 years ago now where we just got really vulnerable with each other. Yeah. And, you know, was that through counseling, learning how to do that? Or Absolutely. Just like, no, it was, it was we through counseling. All the co- I mean, if yeah. this is going to work, if we're going to be together. Oh, we, we would all, not have been able to reach that point okay. and find that destination on our own. Okay. 
we had to have help. And there were people, amazing, godly warriors who were willing to step in and, and provide that and provide their knowledge and their expertise and walk alongside us through a lot of the junk and yeah. listen, you know, and, and that was, that's amazing to really cherish and, and, and the gratefulness I have for those individuals that were willing to stand in the gap and didn't turn their back on me yeah, and were willing to roll up their sleeves and, and get dirty. Um, the appreciation is immense because it changed the whole, uh, the whole projection of my life. Yeah. So talk about some of the healing things you did during that. Cause there, I know a lot of this story too, but just some of the incredible parts of that were you knew you needed to do certain things to fill that empty void. Cause you just purged all this stuff, things that have been hidden for 20 years finally coming up and there's this empty void now. And you were filling that up with a lot of healing, but there were things you knew needed to happen. So yeah. And the Lord and the Holy spirit were very kind and giving specific instructions. Mm -hmm. And then they came in full force, which is another uh, area of appreciation that the Lord you know, when he says he doesn't abandon his people, uh, he truly means it. Yeah. And he provided detailed instructions to me on how this process of healing and how this process of restoration would look. And I think he knew that I needed a roadmap mm. for whatever reason. Uh, he was very gracious in that sense. So just to give you an example, one of the things that he clearly spoke to me was that I needed to go to Irving to that house where the sexual abuse took place as a child and just lay my heart bare and pray forgiveness over my aunt. And I was like, that's the weirdest thing. Like, why would I go to a random house in Irving? I don't even know if she lives there anymore. She probably doesn't. Mm -hmm. This is like 30 years ago. Um, Surely this can't be for me. And they kept reinforcing, no, this is what I have for you. This is important. So I listened, thankfully, my ears were open and, and I acted. And so one of the things that, that he showed me that I was to do is I played a lot of wiffle ball in the uh, backyard, the front yard, all over the place. I just had wiffle ball. That was one of the joyful things, activities that I did at that home and on that property. And so I took a wiffle ball bat and he specifically gave me scripture to write on the yellow wiffle ball bat in Sharpie. And so I was like, okay, so what does that mean? It was like, well, you're going to leave that there as a, as a symbol, as a, um, this kind of a covenant, yeah. like of a, like what happened in your childhood? And then I redeem bad things that happen to children. I, I redeem like that has no part of you. And so you're going to put that up against one of the pine trees when you're there. I'm like, okay, I can do that. But I don't feel like I should be going alone on this. And he's like, you're right. So take a friend. And he told me who that was. And so I had a friend go with me mm. as moral support. And that individual is willing, willing to drive to Irving on a late Thursday night or whatever it was in the rain. Um, and so I get to the house. And the, one of the really cool things that he did that evening was my aunt still lived there. And so I can see because it's a glass door and the wood door was open. So I can see through the house. So I see her and her boyfriend in the house. So I'm like, well, that's crazy. So 
Lord, am I supposed to go to the front door and pray a blessing of forgiveness and just love over her? How radical. That's so weird. Like, why would I want to have interaction with this person? Like I can pray forgiveness from afar. I I know how to do that. I know that's just as real as being with the individual. He's like, no, go to the front door. And so I'd already done the wiffle ball bat on the pine tree. So I go to the front door. Well, her shirtless boyfriend comes to answer the door and I can tell he's probably high on drugs. Not probably. I'm, I think he was. And I'm like, Hey, uh, yeah, I'm Derek is so-and-so here. Can I speak to her? Well, yeah, I remember you. Uh, yeah. You remember me? I'm such and such. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I remember who you are. Great. Can I, can I speak to her? Yeah. Yeah. It's good to see you. So she comes to the door just wide eyed, like, what are you doing here? And, and so all that to say and summarize, the Lord provided about a 40 minute window of pure glory, wow. like heaven on earth to where I just released hurt, pain, prayed forgiveness. He showered her with love and brought into her more than I can ever fathom this side of heaven. And I can't wait to see exactly what he did that night for her. But I can imagine the freedom that she found in that evening because I know the magnitude of freedom that I found that evening. And we spent 40 minutes in the backyard, just the two of us. And here we go. God turned something that was so shameful and so dark and full of despair, and he turned it into freedom, victory, glory, love. And so that's just one of the things um, that he provided for me. And then there were other things about that were more in line of cut out, like cut out, Yeah, you know? Um, And I did, and it was hard. And some of those had to do with uh, music, TV, movie, yeah, pop just culture, trigger, just trigger triggers, yeah. right? Yeah, all of that, and it was you know some of them were pretty radical as far as eliminating from one's life in their thirties or in the year twenty ten. Yeah, but I was all in and knew that this is it's now or never, and this is the point where you know it, it's it's time to to be real and to be willing to do and obey what he said. And so once those things were cut out. Those changes are made, the newness comes in, and that rebirth occurs. And it did for for me. It did for our marriage. And then this 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 new life, post two thousand and ten, is just ripe with like a fruitful tree. Yeah. I also just want to have you mention the the catalyst five and a half days that occurred in the October of 2010, just to right mention that, because that plays a big part of your freedom as well, as long as, you know, as well as the therapy and healing from things in there. But yeah, so what you're referring to is a Fellowship of the Sword retreat, and it was a five-day weekend, so to speak, or five-day week, just off in the middle of nowhere on a ranch in South Texas. And you know, an individual who knew my story just suggested it. I never heard of it before. It's called um, 
Fellowship of the Sword, right? Quest. Quest yeah. is the actual name of the event. And at that point, once again, I was all ears, willing to say yes to even things that were extremely uncomfortable and, and riding a bus with 50 other men, strangers yeah. that I don't know, and spending five days with them at a place that I'd never been to was not in my wheelhouse, not something I would have signed up for ever. But um, I went and it was transformative. Um, one of the things that happened on that trip, you, you talk about you know storm chasers that go and pursue storms. I had a storm chase me. <laughs> it is fantastic in the sense that I've always loved weather. I've always loved meteorology, you know, watching weather patterns and what the Lord's doing in the skies. And I was out on a walk, just communing with the Lord, spending time with him, holding his hand and asking him, you know, repenting, asking him for forgiveness, to love me well, show me what it looks like to be a son. I don't understand that. At that, at that point, that was so foreign to me of like, I'm a son of God. What is this thought? Yeah. What does that mean? Right. There's no intimacy there. There's no, that's, that doesn't hold water. And he brought forth just a storm, this beautiful rain shower out of nowhere that just caught me. And I was actually running the opposite direction. I don't know why. I mean, I was just going to get wet. It was really not a big deal. Um, but I was like running away from it. And I think there was symbolism there in the sense that it's like, you've been trying to run from me and the intimacy I have for you and the sonship I have for you and the victory and the fatherhood I have for you. And you're trying to run from me and you can't, you can't outrun me hmm. and you're not bigger and your britches aren't bigger than mine. Yeah. You know, and that kind of speaking to the pride of like, you really don't know a whole lot hmm. and you're really not that successful and I want you to achieve some real things. I got, I got some real wow. kingdom achievement for you. And that storm caught me and it poured over my soul and washed me clean. There's a whole baptism symbolism and the washing white as snow and, and feeling pure again. And he did all that in a matter of 15 minutes. It didn't take him long. You know, he didn't need an hour. He didn't need the five days. Yeah. He just needed, you know, those 10 or 15 minutes. And that told me really everything I needed to know about God as my father, God as my comforter, mm. all of that, all of that. And the, the week is <laughs> so crazy because on the bus ride home, the Lord tapped into my entrepreneurial spirit, my innovative spirit and said, the apostolic side is like, there's something for you back home that, that looks similar to this, that you're supposed to take to your mm. sphere of influence, to your brotherhood. Yeah. And I'm going to show you what that is going to look like. And I'm going to show you the three men that are supposed to come alongside you and disciple this. And listen, and I'm going to speak life into it. I'm going to breathe the mighty rushing wind into this thing. I'm like, wow. So the bus ride home on, on day five, you know, he's speaking to my passion. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you get home and that was a, 
I knew of you, Laura, uh, Heather knew Laura and knew you more than I did. I just, you know, I, I hid in the background in the shadows of Alta Mesa as much as I could, but I knew there's a guy named Derek Drury. <clears throat> and, uh, and I just had heard a little bit that, um, you were about to go on this weekend or this week deal that I had signed up for in January <laughs> that I had been running from and denying my boss of going to for probably about three or four months. And, uh, and when I knew, when I heard that you had gone on it, I think I remember it was like a Wednesday night. I came up to you and I was like, how was the thing? And I'll, I'll you know, you were glowing of course. And we knew enough to know, knew each other well enough to speak and all that kind of stuff, friendly gestures or whatever. But when I walked up and I knew that it, it scared me even more because I knew for myself in a, just a very few short months, my world was probably going to change too. Cause like the look <laughs> on your face was, so, yeah. was so different, you know? Um, okay. So you, yeah, you get back, um, and you and Laura are still working on things and doing, you know, they're doing the work with counselors. Cause there's just a lot of, I mean, there's 20 years to unpack in your life and, and she's been married to a guy that has had some, things happen to him that most people don't ever witness anything like that. So y'all are unpacking those things, but something is birthed. So let's talk about the Lord knitting us together for a little bit. Yeah. So that's where we come in and tethered and, and the Lord just smiling at us and bringing us in close in relationship. And that was through what is now referred to as the experience. Yeah. And that's our, I guess, three day weekend mm -hmm. of a, of a similar <clears throat> event where hours for sure. men are able to go to a ranch and, and spend time, uh, undistracted, um, with the world being held back so they can pursue the Lord with all their, their heart and soul and mind. And the Lord being able to have that, a uh, short window, but it's not short when you're out there. No, it's plenty long um, to breathe life and renewal into the heart of men. And so you were one of the people that the Lord highlighted uh, to come alongside and to lead and build um, this thing. And uh, there were two other gentlemen that yeah. that said yes, and it was right. It was perfect. So we. Did a planning. What is the date? March thirteenth, two thousand and eleven, and we all went out to the ranch. And uh, so the ranch. Let's talk just a little bit about that. Just kind of give a background there. That was your grandfather's vision of a family, uh, man, oasis, really. Yeah, a place of just sanctity and holiness and a retreat center, so to speak, um, obviously to be used for, for family occasions and Thanksgiving and holidays, but it was a, a grander vision than that because he knew that the church, he knew that ministries, he knew that, uh, Christian colleges would be able to use that venue to, um, just bring the love of God, um, and, and manifest, uh, his purpose for people and, and for leaders. And so, we used that facility for a couple of years and then through, um, the blessing of, of Diamondback, um, 
the property was actually on sale, like the family estate was going to have to sell it. It was on the market for almost two years, but the Lord allowed a way for me to purchase it and mm -hmm. put that call on my heart. I'm not a, a ranching type individual. Um, I don't, I know how to ride a horse and, you know, I, I can hold my own to a degree, but that wasn't high on my list of, of things to purchase, uh, as far as having a ranch with cows and animals and problems. But, uh, he said, it, it's, it's, you're supposed to do this for the Z ministry mm. and I'm going to provide the funds. You're going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to bless the, your family estate because it's going to be sold. And, and so I'm going to, he did his part yeah, and I did my part. And so it became under our ownership in 2013 and just, it blows my mind that he allowed that to, to happen yeah. and that that place was used it's wild. for his glory for about seven years. Yeah. Just wild. Um, so through that is where I came in again, because we had done ministry out there for two years and I was doing my job in the corporate world. And once again, we joined, joined forces and, uh, were tethered again at the ranch. And so we did that for seven years. And then once again, the enemy reared his head and tried to take these knees out from underneath him and talk a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah. So 2020 was rough. Um, yeah. COVID. In a lot of ways we had, we had, COVID. we had a pandemic and that was, uh, difficult to navigate. Um, and we had another issue, uh, a corporate lawsuit issue yeah. and, um, basically bankrupted the company in a matter of weeks, yeah, like very fast. And, you know, I really felt like that the ranch ownership and that that whole, uh, man, just the goodness of that was going to continue generation to generation. I mean, yeah. like where you and I would have great grandkids right. that were, there connected yeah. and they were there on property and yeah. that ministry was going to continue to occur, you know, into the late two thousands. Yeah. I mean, I just, that was my vision. Well, I mean, we, you know, we're doing this podcast right here. We would sit right here and vision cast on amphitheaters and, you know, these, <laughs> yeah. just these beautiful things of what yeah. we, we just knew and saw what the Lord was, yeah. you know, the vision we had. And, and I know, that scared things, you know? And so, yeah, yeah, you know, when it, when it, um, when the seven years was up yeah. and God called it, yeah, I cried so much. I yeah. cried so many tears. I grieved and it, it wasn't the place. It wasn't, uh, yeah. we're not going to be able to do Thanksgiving dinner out there. Yeah or I'm not going to get to ride my horse, you know, right. uh, do my ranching, my ranchy things. Uh, it's just the sorrow of why was a was the enemy allowed to come in right. and wreak havoc, man, not at this point, not at this point in, in life. And man, we got, we got too much more. Like there's yeah. so much goodness currently, but there's so much more to come. Like, you know, you load tonight's show with Johnny Carson, more to come, you know, I always see that, that picture on yeah. the screen of like, cause they're average, there's always something next. And that was like, my passion is like, 
it's the next thing. Like Holy Spirit's going to speak. We're going to act and good things are going to happen. And that was, it was a seven year period. And I still don't understand the mystery behind it. You know, God's, I believe God is, is mystery. There's that side of God and that I just can't fathom. There's billions and billions of things that we're never going to understand. And I, I tried there for a season to make sense of it. Um, I know, I know God's not a God of confusion, so I don't feel like there was a lot of confusion involved, but it was just the, I felt like it was okay to ask him questions of like, why this, why now? Yeah. Like there's been, I've had enough pain. I've had enough sorrow. Like this isn't the, we got this, we got things to do. And I just, for whatever reason, wasn't his plan. Yeah. I think a big part of that is, is the grieving. I mean, we both have shed so many tears over this thing for, you know, and still, I mean, I can sit right here and tune up craft. I wanted to think about it, you know, because there is this, this, this wonder of what would it be like right now? Like, what would we be doing? Heather and I talked about it just the other night. Like, what would we be doing right now if the ranch had sold? Like, what would it look like? You know, and and I love that. I, I love nostalgia. I love thinking about those things. It's not going to happen. It's not real right now. And so that's okay. But I, I think the grief of what we felt he kept showing about the future of that and how quickly the enemy took it because it was within a, I mean, it was just a real quick time where it was like, Oh, we're, this is not going to be ours anymore. And that, that thing is what shook a little bit for me is I, yeah. how quickly the enemy was able to, to turn a vision that we felt for years, we kept casting vision about things and how quickly, but we also now see this side of it, you know, we're to whatever years removed from it and we can look at it and I see things now where I'm like, okay, all right. It wasn't anyway. Yeah. It wasn't all. That's hard to unpack. It is. It's and, you just know, we talked on, we sat up on the New York Hill, right? <clears throat> yep, and we right. sat in the truck and we said, I said, the enemy's at the gates. Yeah. They've come. Yeah. I see them and there's a lot of them. Yeah. And they're powerful and they have weapons. And at that point, many, many times, many, many days, I would ask and, and plead to the Lord, put up your shield, give us our defenses. Yeah. Cause we, we can't, we can't fight this army. There's no way they're too powerful. They're, they've got way, way more yeah. funds yeah. Than, I, than this, than this group has, right. man, they're funded and funding does a lot yep. these days and times. And those prayers were not answered in the way I wanted them to be answered. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say they weren't answered, right? but they were not answered the way. I felt like they should be answered or the way I wanted them answered. Or any of us wanted them answered. Any of us. Uh, yeah, there was yeah, a lot of us. It yeah, wasn't just yeah, yeah. wasn't just me and you. Yeah. There was a lot of right. prayers going up over this thing. And that was hard for me because I am intimate with the Father. Yeah. I have a heavenly daddy. He is 
amazing. Mm-hmm. And I had to say, he wants the desires he of my wants, heart. Yeah, yeah. He says that, right? Yeah. He says, I will give that to you. Ask, seek, you will find. Yeah. I can I remember to... crying that out. Like, this is right. a desire of my heart, yeah. Father, that you save us from this thing. Yeah. And the, and the enemy devoured it yeah. and destroyed it and laid it to waste. We're still alive. Yeah. We're still walking in purpose. Yeah. Right? Yep. 100%. And so it, it, what I felt like for me in that growth, and I know this is your episode, but during that time, I felt like that was one of those Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego moments is like after it, not during it, you know, once I started working for the new cattle company and all that stuff, it was those moments of, but even if he doesn't, will I continue to serve and disciple people to know him more, to do this men's ministry that's still going to be able to go out there like that wasn't taken away. He was faithful to that, and that still happens. And so will I continue to do what I've been called to do, even if? And it was it was a huge growth thing for me, too, so. Man, all right. So, yeah, we could get in the weeds of that real quick, too. So, um, Diamondback sells. You continue to work for Diamondback. Right. The ranch sells. I continue to work for the cattle company that bought us out or bought you out in there. And so I kept working for them. Um. Well, let me talk a little bit about yeah. Z experience. Do it. Let's go. Okay. Cause that, that's more. one of the glory things, right? One yeah. of the, the beautiful gifts that God allowed us to, to steward. And so what has happened is he, he took the four of us and, and just played out a full weekend of community, brotherhood, communion, relationship, uh, healing. I mean, all of those things that he wants to share in the hearts of men and that tra- transforming, like men that are covered up in sin or, or men that are, are just lost and don't know their identity. Um, we can name a whole lot of things, right? And then the Lord have his way and he will speak directly to the hearts of men and, and allow this, this transforming. If, if certain men that, that go out there are already in a good place and you know there's still something there's still gifts yeah. that are received there's right. still beauty absolutely in nature there's still the lord moving um just as powerfully for for those men that are that are healthy as ones that are truly like at their last nerve yeah and at their wits end and saying i'm desperate and i've got nowhere else to turn my marriage is on the rocks i've got these addictions whatever, whatever it is mm-hmm. and we've seen the lord perform miracles like true miracles and and turning no doubt um and so we're now in year 13 of this ministry over 50 i think about 50 weekends five to six hundred men zx 49 will happen november 3rd fourth and fifth okay and and you know there's there's promises in that that are now coming true like the lord gave me in the early days of the ministry 
and the planning and the vision that are now coming true, these promises. And so, you know, you think about the women's ministry that's been birthed called Pursued. Yeah. And that they're doing similar things and the leadership is, is listening well to the Lord and he's um, blessing marriages and families and children. Um, so it's just been a complete joy to be a part of that and to just uh, allow the Lord to move us in that way. That's so good. Yeah, that we yeah we could we could do a whole podcast on <clears throat> Z and pursued too. Maybe that's a I need to think about that too. That would be really good. Um, so where's Derek at today? So where I'm at is <laughs> he called us to adopt, and so that has been uh, mm. our mission field, so to speak. Yeah, and he he's called us to be radical in that form of. Adopting, we adopted two at birth in 2015 yeah. and 2017. And then we adopted a young man out of foster care in 2018. So man, he has been with us for about, about five and a half years now. And the really neat thing about that is that one of my, uh, I've got, two bio sons and a, and a bio daughter and, and the bio daughter at 10, 12 years old, somewhere in there, like we'd be putting her to sleep and saying nightly prayers. And she'd be like, Oh, dad, like we're supposed to adopt. Hmm. Like we got this house, we've got room. I'll share my room. I'll share my toys. I'll share my dolls. And, and so the Lord used her in such a profound and, and just sweet way of, speaking adoption and that was so foreign to me i never thought right like why would i adopt somebody i can have kids and we've already got three you know and i came from a family of, of three kids that's that's perfect amount let's yeah. just roll and uh but you know we we really started listening and praying into that and and he said i have adoption for you and so fatherhood man i'm like about to cry it's just it's so special that he's allowed me to father six children and that I am making a difference and I am sharing like the good, the bad, the, you know, the, yeah. I mean, with these kids to raise them to be warriors for Christ and to go and, and change the world in their own ways, big and small, you know, to, to make a difference and to have impact and, to not be afraid to speak about Jesus and how much they love him in this crazy world. And, and the fatherhood thing to me and being able to break those generational curses and being able to just put my flag in the ground and say, it stops with this mm -hmm. dreary because the future drearies and is different, my friend. And it is not, the way it was we're not going to continue the cycle of what happened passed from my dad's his dad oh, on a miss it's bad there's some bad stuff in there the really dark stuff that i found out in my adulthood and we can say and speak to all we want and i can dwell if i wanted to on losses and maybe what some would perceive as, as failures. I hate that word failure. 
Yeah. Um, but those things are just trivial in the grand scheme of things. And I know that that would be where the enemy would want me to look and have my focus on some losses we've taken or some failures that have occurred or mistakes that were made. But the Lord's victory and his wins, um, man, they're just so much more profound. Mm -hmm. And so being a husband, being a father of six, continuing to have influence in the sense of not, not influence probably isn't the best word, but just to be able to share Jesus in the corporate environment where that's being squeezed out. In my opinion, um, it means something Yeah, that people are being seen for who they are and not just productivity and numbers yeah. and that. Yeah. type of stuff bottom line weird like so i hate that stuff i'll be honest i hate when people are treated in, in a work environment in that sense and so um it just brings me back i found my humility again mm -hmm. a, a, a long time ago yeah i'm gonna stay in that i found uh a rejoicing in the lord and the counting my blessings like what my mom used to sing to me and knowing that the every this breath that I'm about to take right now, it's a gift. It truly is. I don't need funds. I don't need power. Um, and so just holding on to those true, those old spiritual tenets and those practices, and then seeing the fruit and talking about what this what this tree and what this orchard looks like at this point and what it's going to continue to grow into is very special to me. And so that's why I don't feel like I've lost purpose, mm -hmm. even though there's been, there's right. been losses and sales of things and all the blows, changes right. and blows. It's like, no, I still am worthy. I still have value. I still have purpose. Let's go. Yeah. And I think above most people that I know that, that are, you know, have an apostolic anointing on them you have carried that probably the the best that I've seen because I mean at a very young age that it came against you to break that out of you but you've continued to carry that torch and <clears throat> even in the you know even the the personality trait or whatever you want to say that that made you quench it and push it down and hide it and all those things was also just another tool of the enemy to just try to break you from the inside out and all those other things. And so carrying, I feel like that's the thing is he wanted to break your purpose, but you've still got it and you found it. And, and it was rebirthed in being a father. And then it was repurposed in adopting the fatherless, you know, with your other three beautiful children that are adopted but they're still your own they all look just like you uh debron too <laughs> and i just I, anyway I, I anything yeah else? and a quick yeah. story yeah. about my Go, father okay it. because i've just shared a lot of the hard stuff yeah and i would be remiss not to share the goodness at the end of his life yeah so 
Not too dissimilar to what the Lord provided for my aunt. He got sick and stricken with cancer in his late 60s. And and just to back up a bit, he and I did not have a relationship at all for a good, good long time. Uh, didn't speak. Completely cut off, right. Completely yeah. cut off. And through that illness, the Lord was able to allow me to have enough capacity and wherewithal to to pursue him mm. in the sense of forgiveness, unconditional love. Um, and, and it was really special. The last six months of his life, we spent a decent amount of time with each other. We went to a Texas Rangers game. Hey, that's cool. uh, the last, we went to the last one at the old ballpark um, to close that building out. And that, that was a special moment. Uh, as we were closing the chapter on our earthly life together. Yeah. And to see his response and his reaction and knowing even after the father loves the son, the son loves the father. Hmm. And it's it, it's okay. And God can redeem a multitude of sins, a multitude of heartache. He redeemed it. He, I know he did. Yeah. And I know that I'm going to get to see my dad again. Yeah. And that's going to be really special in the, in the wholeness sense right. of the relationship. Yeah, that's really good. And to not, no way, no way, no way, um, forget about or dismiss Miss Sweet Sharon. Talk a little bit about your mom. Yeah, so my mom... Uh, was stricken with cancer and, and had that diagnosis about a year and a half ago. So that hit the family hard. Yeah. Because as you spoke. And by family, there is a big A big family. family. Yeah. There's yeah. a there's a big family that of people that she's uh blessed and, and so that hit really hard and then it turned terminal really quick and knowing that her days were numbered. So once again, we, we made the best of it and, and really just soaked in the goodness of our relationship just between she and I. Yeah. Um, she was able to pour into my kids, uh, who she loved dearly, hmm. um, and just took care of her grandchildren so well yeah. and just, just shared so much wisdom in those she last did. days. And she, she imparted that into them and, it was just really neat in the sense that although we would have loved for her to be able to to live, you know, well under seventies and eighties yeah. and, and all that, that good stuff, <clears throat> it was just a, a really good closure in the sense that we knew that, that she lived her life well and that it was complete. And yeah, in so many ways. And just the the, the last days I'll just speak a little bit to it in the sense that there's just been brokenness in that side of the family. Yeah. Yeah. And her passing allowed and has opened a door to bring healing and, and to bring completeness in some relationships. 
And that's, that's so great that once again, here, here she is like giving of herself in a sense of, right. you know, that's, that's, a, that's something that she desired is for there to be wholeness and there to be health mm-hmm. and, and the brokenness to that cycle once again, to be yeah. eradicated. Right. And, and, and just, just one more sweet, uh, hug from the Lord in that regard. There were, there were some moments in, in her, in her dying, uh, moments that, that were profound. Yeah. She, I mean, it had to have been prayers of the desires of her heart for her family to be left whole and beauty from ashes, man. Yeah. My very brief time with her, she lay in that hospital bed was, it's one of my, it's one of my top moments, man. It was very special for me to, to be there and and for you guys to allow me to come and be in that space very briefly, but she was, still and will always be missed and she had an influence on so many people and a spiritual mother to so many i know for my daughter she was very 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 special as a spiritual spiritual mentor and and a mother so i didn't want to go without saying we love you we love you birdie um so where do you find yourself today as we close this thing, I'm really glad we got to do it. You guys are have moved again. Y'all are in Burleson. Way. Yeah, we're we're down there, and you kids know, have all changed schools, and yeah, the kids are doing well. And you know, we just see how the Lord is gifting them, and how they're using those uh, to further the kingdom and to be a blessing and to love people. And so, you know, that continues. Um, and fathering them. And I think the biggest thing is just for one time in my life, I don't have a script or I don't have a specific vision and I'm okay with that. It's different because that's something I'm used to is, is having goals in front of me and having a plan and, and kind of knowing what the next chapter could possibly look like. And at this point, it's pretty wide open. And so while that can be scary to a degree and unnerving, I'm really at peace with it. And I'm okay in allowing the Lord to fill in those blanks because I know he will. Right. And not just that he will fill in the blanks, but that they'll be good beyond my wildest dreams. Hmm. And so I'm open. That's the best way I can describe my current position. And I love that because you and I have talked many, many, many times about just once again, that anointing, you have them apostolic and you're, and you're usually seeing three or four steps ahead and, and know what those are going to be. So then when the group that's with you gets there, there's some already pad laid, you know, for them to step on and, and being in this season of vulnerability of open-handed of, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's a really, it is. I know it's new yeah. for you in a way and very interesting, yeah. but I can see the joy on your face to know that it's all good. That's all good. I love you, D. I, I appreciate you doing this, and um, it's been awesome. It's I love awesome. you too, Jonathan. <laughs> and I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you.